0: This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business.
1: Hello, and welcome to SpyCast, from the secret files of the International Spy Museum in Washington, D.C., I'm Peter Ernest, the executive director of the museum. I served for some 36 years in the Central Intelligence Agency, largely as what is called an operations officer or a case officer. Every month we'll be bringing you interesting talks with visitors, with authors, with others who have something to do with the world of intelligence and espionage. Today is Keith Milton. Uh, Keith is a member of the advisory board of the museum, has been a longtime supporter of the museum and has been uh, our our expert advisor in terms of so much of the trade craft items, that is the tools of the trade that we have here. He is known as a historian and specialist, specifically in clandestine devices and equipment. He wrote uh, one of our most popular books, The Ultimate Spy, still in print. And he's currently the trade craft historian with the U.S. government's Interagency Training Center, uh, which I think is a real contribution to the government, and I'm glad to hear that he is there. Uh, Keith is here today to do a program at the museum, which is uh, uh, called Sexpionage. Uh, Keith did this a version of this program, uh, 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 point .1, if you will, uh, some four years ago. It was sold out then, and it's sold out this evening. So, Keith, I'd like to, if we could, today, just focus on that program a bit. Uh, sexpionage obviously can cover many things. Um, one of the things that you mention in some of our literature on the subject is the use of honey traps. And I wonder if we could just take off from there, perhaps, and work into the subject you'll be presenting this evening.
0: Well, thank you and, and good afternoon to you. Um, espionage has so many facets, as, as you know, Peter. And one of the most interesting areas is where it involves the topic of sex. And our success and popularity of the program probably confirms the adage that sex sells. And it is true in advertising, and it's certainly true in the world of intelligence. One of the interesting overlaps is that it's actually more difficult to find a classic espionage case or a modern case that doesn't involve sex because sex is such an integral part of life. But in specifically, intelligence services have, going back to biblical times, used sex as one of the world's oldest professions to perhaps work with the next oldest profession, espionage and combine that with internal security services and you have just an, unusually, an unusual triumvirate of groups which have been linked for centuries and the term honey trap is widely used in a variety of ways in the same way that honey draws flies and insects sex draws men and sometimes women and can be exploited by a very clever intelligence service And what we're going to be doing tonight is not looking at sex from a prurient sense, but actually looking at it to see how the vulnerabilities can be identified and so that we can make this a stronger country. And without talking about it, and if we ignore it, then simply the vulnerabilities will continue.
1: Well, I know that uh, whenever I've uh, talked to you and heard you discuss espionage, you always go directly to very concrete subjects, to to how things work and and specifically the tools of the trade. And I think sometimes when people hear that term honey traps and sexpionage, they sort of think of 1930s films or something, or or, uh, something quaint, outdated. How current, how up-to-date is the exploitation of sex by intelligence
0: services? (laughs) It's amazing and uh, interesting you ask the question. Now, we didn't plan it this way, but there were two major sexual entrapments that have occurred in July of 2009. I'd like to think they were crescendos for the program tonight, but what's exceptional is that a British diplomat in Ekaterinburg, Russia, James Hudson, was compromised in a brothel and a tape of his sexual exploits was released in Russia titled The Adventures of Mr. Hudson in Russia. And what has passed under the radar is that the Romanian consulate in Chisnau, Moldova was trapped in a Moldovan honey trap, and I've obtained that video as well. So this is as current as the month we're in, though sex is often used differently these are very active subjects and they will be in use as long as you have people in the natural desire for sex. Now it's
1: interesting the the two cases you just mentioned um, they were exploited uh, virtually almost immediately uh, both uh, running the the video on on, on the Russian uh, television and in the Moldovan case. Now I take it in many cases um, it is done by a service against a foreign diplomat, or a businessman, or some of that nature, not to exploit immediately, but
0: rather, perhaps, for recruitment. You can have exploitation occur for many different reasons. In the classic 1930s, and in popular culture, the general belief is that you would photograph someone in flagrante, blackmail them, and they would become a willing agent. Well, intelligence services have learned that that was generally unacceptable. Blackmailed agents don't make good sources. What was discovered is there is a far more powerful vulnerability, and that is a manipulation of the heart. And you can manipulate a person and have them have them willingly do things they would never consciously do if blackmailed. So you have the combination of the two. Now. The question comes, and it's very good, is why were these videos released in Russia and in Moldova? And there is no known association between the diplomat and that he was an intelligence officer. It could be that the intelligence service, the Federal Counterintelligence Service in Russia, the FSB, was simply trying to make a point. It could be that the individual had refused to be blackmailed in a bribery or mafia-related sting, but someone wanted to make a point and say, if you do not go along with us, this will, what, is what will happen, so that the next time they snare someone and they present them with a set of still fi- pictures or videos and they say, now, remember what happened to your colleague? If you don't want that to happen, then you should take our proposal very seriously. And you never know how many you didn't catch or how many you haven't heard of because potentially they're still working and they have been compromised.
1: You know, in, in, as, the, as the Cold War wound down, one of the names most closely associated with the uh, use of sex in espionage was, of course, Marcus Wolf. And I believe at one time you had occasion to meet Marcus Wolf and talk to him. I wonder if you could talk about him and about his, at least his reputation for using that, and just how successful do you think it was?
0: Marcus Wolfe was a determined and extremely capable adversary of the United States. At the end of the Cold War, we became quite good friends. Uh, He was a uh, very charismatic individual, spoke seven languages, perhaps the longest-serving leader of a foreign intelligence service during the Cold War. He headed the HVA, which was the external intelligence component of the GDR, East Germany, for 34 years and survived. He was extraordinary. He started very early in his career using a model of blackmail that essentially had transferred from World War II until he found out that blackmail essentially didn't work. and he was very introspective and on several occasions we had this identical, identical conversation. And he explained to me, he says, Keith, all of my officers, they all want women. So I said, if you're going to go find women, go find the women where the secretaries are. Go find where the people that work in the ministries and in the West German government and in NATO. So if you're going to shop, shop there. And Wolf understood that the most important factors to potential targets to women were not looks and it wasn't any particular physical prowess it was two things number one genuine affability is the person sociable and likable that people want to be around them a charismatic personality number one and number two could the individual emote, could they share emotions and listen? And being a good listener and being able to understand a person's problems were the two most powerful tools in the arsenal of a Romeo. And the concept for a Romeo was completely different than anything we had seen. And Wolf developed a four-part plan, which which is astounding. He would have his officers go Be known in the club opposite or down the street from a major ministry. Meet someone. Understand their likes, dislikes. He would target single women, especially those that may have been only modestly attractive and perhaps had never had a significant love affair in their life and had often seen their colleagues, they believed, very happy. And he would find them, and he would become the answer to their dreams sociable, active, loves to dance, loves to go to restaurants, well-mannered, considerate, and could understand their emotions. And his first goal, once they were targeted, would be to make it intimate. Establish an intimate relationship. Once that was done, propose marriage. Startling. The third thing, confess to them that you are a spy. But. Perhaps it's for a NATO country, a false flag recruitment. You're a Canadian. You're an Israeli. You're not a country that's really at war with the host country. You're from a friendly country, but you're you're here to do a job. And the fourth step, I'm going to be recalled unless I need something to show my bosses. My heart is here with you, but for to stay, I've got to give them something bring me anything you can at work a newspaper a telephone book anything because i can't bear the thought of us being apart and by the end of the 70s he had more than 40 individual recruitments running in the west an unheard of number the german counterintelligence service the bfv was so overwhelmed when they heard this, they created something called Operation Registration, which said, we know no defense for this. Consequently, any single woman, if she's in a likely targetable age and has access to information, you need to register your personal information with us so we can protect you. And uh, it was an extraordinary tool. There are many other uses for it, but Wolf will perhaps be best remembered for this accomplishment.
1: That was his phrase, as I remember, Romeos. He
0: called them Romeos. Yes.
1: Did, just uh, out of interest, one thinks of that as that, as a, it's so exploitive, do you have any sense of how many of those relationships ended very badly for the women? Were there suicides? Were there...
0: Well, it, we didn't know about the ending of many of those until sure. well into the 90s, until something called the Rosencrantz Papers, the Rosewood Papers. Because the the HVA, the Each German External Service, had very carefully segregated agent names to be completely removed from the real true name. And the only single computer printout that, mi- that matched both were the infamous Rosewood Papers. And the CIA's acquisition of that in ni- around 1993 was so significant. And for the first time, we began to understand how complex and pervasive the penetration was. Subsequently, there have been interviews with individuals, and there were many women that perhaps have never recovered from this ultimate act of betrayal the east germans were so thorough that when they proposed marriage if the woman insisted on it there are examples where they arranged for a private chapel controlled by the east germans they would whisk the person away to it across the border go to the chapel there would be a service performed by a priest who was actually an east german intelligence officer they would take a large magnificent ring out of their east german storehouses present it to her they would take photos flowers they would spend a delightful weekend and at the end they'd take it all back to put it in safekeeping until they could eventually be together And there were women women were manipulated this significantly and to hear the interviews in recent years you can still hear the pain in their voices yeah.
1: you know it's interesting as we contemplate this one typically, in looking through the literature, uh, doesn't associate this tactic, this approach, with, with American intelligence services?
0: The, the U.S. intelligence service has always had a higher standard and a higher set of values. And I know of no instance in which a, a woman, a female intelligence officer, has ever been asked to provide any form of sexual services as an enticement for either a recruitment or an exchange for information. Now, in some ways, that has perhaps limited us. But if we look at the success through the Cold War, it seems inconsistent with the values of our intelligence services that that would be a part of the tools normally employed.
1: Well, you've had a long, hard look at American intelligence services, and uh, I also, to perhaps uh, not on as broad a scale, I mean, I have a sense that our services, we talk about the values of the intelligence services, I think they reflect the values of us as a people. I mean, the people in the services are essentially Americans,
0: and so it's they bring their values as Americans to their work. That's a good point. Uh- Now, we do see some interesting examples, especially in in World War II, and one of my favorite cases is the wife of a diplomat named Elizabeth Pack, who uh, was very pro-British. She worked before the United States entered the war. She worked for the BSC, British Security Coordination, and she was providing, she, she was a very generous and warm woman who was very willing to trade her favors in exchange for close relationships that could develop information. And as the war appeared imminent, she was stationed here, her husband was in South America, she moved to Washington, and she developed a very close relationship with the press attaché of the then the Vichy French embassy here in washington which was a pro-german embassy and the highly prized target were the cipher books they were using to communicate with the italians because we understood that the likely u.s entry into the war would probably be an operation in the mediterranean or in africa and so she took her new bedfellow the press attache and with his his help begin to target the one safe inside the embassy that had the secrets
1: now she was working at the at, at, at british
0: she was working direction. for british mm-hmm. coordination okay. here in washington with kind of the tacit knowledge of the fbi at okay. the time uh-huh. the u.s. had not entered the war but they wanted to target the safe and ultimately her plan was she had to have a way, with his help, to introduce a U.S. safe cracker, so they could manipulate the safe and access she the safe re-
1: She, in turn, recruited the attaché. That's why yes. he was cooperating. Yes. Okay.
0: The problem was that the Vichy French Embassy, which is, is still, the building is still there, had constant 24-hour watchmen, and the watchmen were very alert, older, and they were constantly patrolling what was a somewhat smaller facility. And her plan was quite clever, because in wartime Washington, maybe somewhat like today, hotel rooms were very difficult to come by, and it was hard to get private quarters. Uh, So as an attaché, if you wanted to be alone with someone, if you wanted male-female privacy, this was awful difficult to find. But the French considered this trade a national treasure so the french press attache simply explained to the watchman that the only place he could think of to have any privacy with his new paramour miss pack was in one of the anterooms off the entrance to the embassy and using that they were able to create a subterfuge which gave a reason for the two of them to be there and on the night in question they were able to explained to the watchman they would be in this room. They were able to to secretly smuggle the third person in through the front door when the watchman wasn't paying attention. But their great fear was, though he would stay away from the anteroom, that he would certainly be looking at the larger room across the hall where the safe was. And they had to have something to distract him. And Elizabeth Pack had the brilliant idea She would simply strip down completely in the nude and do the entire safe operation naked. And her idea was if he came into the room, the darkened room with his flashlight, the first thing she would do is put up her arms and scream. He'd be so embarrassed that he'd go out of the room. And indeed that happened though it was a successful operation, but it kind of coined the term naked in Washington. And is, is one of my favorite stories.
1: <laughs> That's a great story. And uh, I think it's uh, interesting that that particular operation uh, took place uh, against a French target. I, I think there's a certain the Vichy irony f- in
0: that. The Vichy French <clears throat> were, were, were a very interesting contradiction because they were pro-German at a time that we were, of course, allied with the British. And uh, it put... F- allied forces in the very uncomfortable position, would they actually fire against French forces? Because m- most of France was at that point occupied. So it was an interesting international test, and uh, it was something that they didn't want to ruffle the feathers, but they very much wanted the cypher books.
1: You know, it's interesting. So many of the cases uh, that we've discussed uh, today are are good, solid Cold War cases, and I'll just ask for your comment, but do you have a sense, I certainly have a sense, that we are seeing the same tactic used by the uh, terrorist groups uh, that we're dealing with today?
0: Our adversaries in the the world of terrorism are becoming more capable, more confident, and better skilled. And any time that human weakness is a constant, and the desire for sex is a constant, and the likelihood that we'll see terrorists using similar tools that spies use i think that that will always be there sex is a lure there have been examples where groups in the middle east have established internet relationships across the borders into israel and and lured individuals out that have been murdered there have been a number of excellent films that have shown the use of sex as a lure it's one of the tools of espionage, though the goals of spies and the goals of terrorists are completely different. The tools they use, including surveillance, are similar. And I, as much as sex is an integral part of our lives, I suggest it will continuously be an integral part of espionage.
1: Well, I'm, I'm, I must say it's, it's, a, uh, it's a fascinating subject. I can see again why the program is sold out. Is there anything we haven't touched on today that you would like to add on this on this terribly
0: intriguing subject? Uh, only the challenge of dealing with the subject in a professional way when we're touching on very raw, unedited tapes that are very very graphic. And uh, uh, as Bernard Wolfe talked about in his uh, his his great novel on the death of Trotsky, he said. We must talk of unpleasant things, for it is necessary to learn. And that's our approach, and uh, we believe the folks are going to have a very, very interesting and enjoyable time.
1: Well, you've certainly helped us learn today. Keith, thank you so much for joining us today, and I look forward to doing another interview with you yet another time. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we look forward to uh, continuing uh, this dialogue with you. And uh, we'd like to know if you have any comments or questions on today's SpyCast. Uh, you can get in touch with us uh, through email at spycast at spymuseum, that's one word, dot org. That's spycast at spymuseum dot org.
0: Thank you.